Good morning, church. It's great. Um, it is truly good to be together again, and for those joining us online, uh, great to have you tuned in with us. And thanks, uh, Andrew, so much for that testimony. It's just so encouraging to hear um, just increased trust in God's faithfulness and just stories of God um, working in our lives. It's just so brilliant. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of Mark. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 9 or scroll down your phone, uh, and it will be online. Uh, we uh, have fit baptisms into the life of the church, so this may, be, uh, may not be the passage we would have picked if we were doing a, a, a baptism a service, like a, a set-apart service for it, but uh, I think that there is more than enough in this text to encourage us and just to position us a bit more into where we're at in our journey in the book and uh, what Jesus is, is saying to us today and taking us through. Jesus has been uh, preaching and healing and helping his disciples see more of who he is. And they've come to the point of recognizing, okay, this is the Christ. So Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And um, they respond saying, you are the Christ. And uh, that's uh, not his surname, of course. It wasn't Joseph and Mary Christ. Christ uh, is a title uh, given to Jesus, meaning anointed one. And, and so they're, they're saying in that moment, this is the guy the scriptures have been talking about, uh, the one who would come and undo the power of darkness in the world and who would come and make all things right. And uh, we see a, a glimpse of this amazing glory of Jesus last week as Doug unpacked the transfiguration for us. And um, it's just this amazing moment of glory. And yet in the midst of that, we're seeing that, yes, Jesus is a royal king, but at the same time, he's a king who's told us he must come and suffer and die. And so this king who's come to die uh, is what Mark is um, leading us towards. And obviously, he's going to take us further along in that journey as we uh, reach the end of the book of Mark and as Jesus journeys towards the cross. But now, uh, in between uh, verses sort of 9 and 11, there's an interesting uh, little segue that Jesus is taking his disciples on. And essentially, he's training them and teaching them what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it actually means. And so he spends time dealing with some of the big issues of life and faith. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, ambition, relationships, sin, purity. We're going to be looking at marriage and divorce, children, finances, possessions, suffering, uh, and even what it looks like to live as a servant of God in this world. And so these are some of the big sort of mountains and rocks of faith that Jesus has given us. And he says a lot of really challenging things, but his overall encouragement to us, if you're a Christian, is that this is not a radical Christianity. This is, this is normal Christianity. It's what he's calling us into as his children who love him and follow him. And if you may be um, visiting today or, or you're tuning in online and uh, you wouldn't call yourself Christian or, or you're figuring it out, there is going to be a lot to challenge us, but hopefully lots to encourage us uh, on our journey of considering Jesus too. So as we kick off this journey, today is sort of the first um, week after the transfiguration. Jesus comes down from the mountain and begins this section of helping his uh, followers, his disciples, know what it looks like to follow him. And so if you're taking notes or, or writing um, 
uh, or uh, slowing down or whatever, we're going to be looking at how God gives us faith for the journey of following him. Because we need spiritual power. And uh, Jesus is explaining in this text some of the, some of the ways he imparts uh, life and power and faith to us in our journey of following him. So Mark chapter 9, you can look in your Bibles. As I said, it will be on the screen as well. From verse 14 until verse 29, I'll read it for us. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Some, someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it up, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? But bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth, how long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind, can, this kind uh, can come out by nothing but prayer. So speaking of prayer, let's pray together quickly. Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that all parts of it are God-breathed and intended to help us see and trust Jesus more fully. And we ask this morning, God, that you would be with us. We pray that you'd meet with us now. We pray that you'd open our eyes to see Jesus. We pray, God, that we would hear you speaking as we look at your word and just unpack what you're saying to us today. And we pray that um, yeah, you would help us all redirect our trust once again and our hope back onto the powerful work of Jesus in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you um, this morning, if you've got your Bibles or phones, open on the text. Um, unfortunately, my PowerPoint skills uh, lacked late at night, last night. But uh, if you can keep it open, that'd be helpful. I'm going to be referring to it a bit every now and then. But I will be uh, reading it if you don't have that with you. And um, if you are a visitor, as I said, uh, we're so glad you're here, firstly. Um, but I do want to say... Um, you may not have expected to come to church hearing to, uh, expecting to hear about demon possession, 
uh, and we're not a typical demon hunter kind of church. So this is maybe the first time we've spoken about this thing in a while. But I do want to just position us as we look at this text that um, that, of course, is a crucial part of the story. But uh, there is so much else going on. So I'm going to deal with that a bit later. But we're looking at what Jesus is doing in the lives of the disciples and the father as well as the boy. And so we're going to un- unpack all of that. Um, I've got four points. We're going to be looking at the characters And as I said, looking at how Jesus gives us faith for this journey of following him. Because, of course, it's not just about uh, believing once off and that's it. It's it's a journey. It's a road we walk as we journey with him, as we trust him more day by day, as we intend to live as he lived, um, as as we need him in our daily lives. It's a thing we walk out as we're keeping in step with what he's doing in our lives. So what is this faith look like? And how does God grow faith in us for the journey? And I I want to start off by looking at the first thing, uh, and that is in the person of Jesus, is that he opens our eyes to his renewing authority. And I'll explain a bit more what I mean by that renewing authority uh, a bit more. But just to give us some context again, uh, the disciples have agreed that Jesus is not just any man. He's God in the flesh. And they've gone up a mountain and and they've seen him, or at least three of them have seen him transfigured, right? That doesn't mean he was transformed into something different. It means the reality of all he already was was made more visible in that moment. And they got to see him for who he was, both fully man and fully God. And it was just this incredible moment of glory as um, they were in the literal presence of God, seeing Jesus in this transfigured state. I can't imagine what it must have been like, but it must have been truly glorious. And it says, in Mark 9 verse 7, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So it's this moment where the Father now is speaking and affirming the identity and authority that is in Jesus as his son. This is Jesus as his son. And uh, we have to remember this as we now enter into this story, because this is the first thing I want us to look at. There there is an incredible contrast going on. There's the glory of God in Jesus, and we're immediately now contrasted to the the depravity of evil with what's going on in this demon position. This is the glory of God and the power of God with the power of evil and the presence of evil. And this might seem strange, but I don't actually think it's unreasonable. Because the Bible teaches that this is reasonable in light of who he is. The Bible teaches Jesus is light. And so when Jesus' light comes near, it drives out darkness. And he has come to push back the darkness. This is Jesus' mission. He's come to undo the power of Death and the, the power of decay has come to overthrow evil and to restore and to heal. And so the, the mere presence of Jesus as it comes near, this, de, this demon shudders because it can't coexist. They are not equals in any way. Jesus steps into the room and the evil runs for the hills. And it says so much about Jesus' goodness and, and authority just in this moment for us. Just that the fact that Jesus comes near darkness and evil has to run away. He's authority, he's powerful, he is the ultimate authority, and he's good. And I think this gives us such enormous faith 
in our journey of following Jesus, just to camp here for a little bit, that everything changes and hinges on the goodness and authority of Jesus. Jesus doesn't come into the scene and he's not happy at what's going on in the life of this boy. He's not, he's not glad that he's suffering in this way. He's clearly heartbroken and you can tell he's actually annoyed at the disciples' lack of faith and, and that they were unable to help him sooner. He's grieved at what's going on in this boy's life. And yet in his grace, he steps into the scene and his compassion flows and he heals and relieves the suffering. And just this is good news for us today, again, that as we come to Jesus, we can rest in his commitment to be with us in our trials and to move in life-changing power as he comes near He's at work undoing decay, undoing evil in our lives to help us flourish, to help us step into all that he is if we're his children. And so there's this, just this principle of decay and brokenness in life that things are not progressively getting better apart from Jesus. They're getting worse. I, I, uh, I, uh, you know, one of the things about, I'm not old, but getting older you, you know, you, you get injured just from sleeping, right? You sleep in just a slightly like weird position and you feel like you need uh, all the physios in the world to fix your broken body, right? Or you go on holiday and you just cannot imagine, you can't fathom going without your pillow, right? You need your pillow, just the, the frailty of the human body, this principle of decay. But in all seriousness, you take it a step deeper, and I think we don't have to look very hard to see the brokenness of life around us. Just maybe what's going on in your life, I don't know, but there's the stories again of, of suffering, cancer. I think of just the COVID and the deaths we're seeing and the sickness. And this is not how things were meant to be. And the good news in Jesus is that because of the cross, because of his victory, because of what he's already defeated and overthrown, it is also not what it will one day be. And we have a future to look forward to as he is, this is the biblical word, renewing all things into what they were meant to be and will one day be. He's at work renewing all things. And so when I speak about renewing authority, the renewing authority of Jesus, this is what I'm saying. As Jesus comes near, evil flees. As Jesus comes near, it brings with it simultaneously healing and power and restoration and wholeness and beauty. Those things can't coexist with Jesus. And I think Jesus is building faith into our lives in this and that as we draw near to him, as he draws near to us, as we go through trials, as we go through suffering, as we experience just the decay of life and the brokenness around us, as Jesus comes near, things change. And we can rest in the renewing authority of Jesus. Jesus says to us, John 16, 33, you will have suffering in this world, but take courage. I have conquered the world. I have overcome. And so in the midst of this decay, we can rest in his restoring and renewing presence. And when we are in trials, we have help. I think the second way Jesus encourages us here in this text and how he gives us faith for this journey of following him is what we see uh, in the disciples. 
And um, the, um, Jesus' words to the disciples are quite strong. It's a rebuke. So um, again, if you, if you wouldn't say you're uh, following Jesus, I want to release you from feeling rebuked in this moment, but the rest of us should feel sufficiently challenged because this is um, helpful to us. Jesus comes down from the mountain and he enters into a situation where there's an argument going on. Uh, the scribes are arguing with uh, the disciples and I imagine they're, they're arguing about uh, demonology maybe. They're having a little one-on-one session there. How is this demon supposed to come out? How does it all work? And we might want to get sucked into all of those details. Um, but Jesus comes, comes into the, the picture and he says the problem is actually something entirely different. And we'll look at it here. He says the issue is that they lacked spiritual power because of something very important. They were unable to heal the boy because of the issue of their faith. In verse 19, the father explains to Jesus that the disciples were unable uh, to drive out the demon. And, and, and Jesus just repl replies strongly. It says, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? But bring him to me. And he's, sh and he's showing his compassion for the boy. We'll get there just now that Jesus steps in and does what the disciples could not do. But he takes a, a moment here to rebuke them for their lack of faith. He says, how long will I be with you? How much more do you need me to prove of what I can do? How much more do you need me to see me doing these things? You've walked with me for three years. You've seen countless miracles. You've seen countless things. How much longer do I need to be with you that you'll have this kind of faith and trust that I can do all these things? And yet in the, mix, in the midst of that, Jesus then points to the deeper issue. Because the disciples then have witnessed now Jesus healing the boy. They're, they're at home. They're sitting down, recovering from a long day with a cup of tea. And they're asking Jesus, why couldn't we drive this demon out? What went wrong? And Jesus gives them the answer. Verse 28, he says, this kind can come out by nothing but pray. You couldn't drive it up because you didn't pray. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I think we just need to be careful. Jesus is not saying two things here when he says this kind can come out by nothing. He's not saying that there are some that can come out by something other than prayer. He's also not saying that they should stop everything, get in a circle, hold hands, and have like an hour prayer session before they attempt the healing. He's, he's pointing to something a little bit deeper. I think he's pointing to less of a mechanical process of the steps of exorcism and more talking about a heart posture. That's what's going on. Jesus is talking about a heart posture. You can imagine these guys, in the face of the destructive power of evil, they would somehow have the self-sufficient, autonomous arrogance to feel that they could drive out this demon on their own power, in their own power. Who do they think they are? How could they possibly think that this was possible in their own strength? See, this is what neglecting prayer does. We forget that we are people deeply dependent on the power of Jesus at work in our lives, and we become self-sufficient people. And that is what prayer does. Prayer forces us to abandon self-sufficiency. It forces us to abandon um, 
our own autonomy or, or even our, our sense of personal power and strength, it, it causes us to just remember we have got nothing going for us in and of ourselves. But in Christ, there is a source of power and help and strength that is eternal. And so Jesus is saying something deep to us today. He's saying you were ineffective because you relied and trusted in your own power and strength. What would it be like if you relied on and trusted in my power to meet the need of that boy in that moment? Just the pride in their hearts, thinking we're the disciples, man. We're the chosen 12. We can do this. Of course they couldn't. Nothing happens apart from him. I think in the world, we, we live in this uh, self-confidence uh, obsessed world. Every sort of second book is about how you can improve self-actualization and, and have more positive thinking and like manifest, this whole thing of manifest. If you think it and believe it, you'll get it. What nonsense, man. Have you tried positive thinking? It doesn't take long for you to realize that it results in depression and disappointment very quickly. We need something far greater than just thinking we're awesome. And I'm not saying confidence is a bad thing. I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying self-hate is the remedy. Of course not. There, there is an internal health that will... Obviously, that is a different thing altogether. But what I am saying here is that Jesus is encouraging uh, rebuking the disciples and encouraging us today that we need something so much more and so much deeper than just, I can do it. It's more of a restful dependence on the one who can do all things. And that's what he says to um, the Father. We're going to look at that just now. When he says all things are possible to the one who believes, that's not like a, a Disney movie line. All things are possible for the one who believes. He, he's saying, when you believe and trust in me, I have sufficient power to do what I know needs to be done. And you can rest that I will work for your good and my glory. And so the point Jesus is making here is this. Weak faith in Jesus is stronger than great faith in ourselves. Weak faith in Jesus is stronger than great faith in ourselves. It's not about having a perfect faith. It's just about who we're having faith in, not ourselves, but him. It's not about the amount of faith and trying to force faith. It's more about the direction of our faith. Who is it that we're trusting in? And so what the disciples needed more than anything else is to redirect their faith away from themselves and towards Jesus. And so that's why Jesus mentions prayer. There is nothing like prayer to take our eyes off of ourself and to cause us to abandon self-sufficiency and grab again onto our desperate need for God to get stuck into our lives. We need Him more than we need our next breath. And that is one of the disciplines God gives to us in his grace. And I'm just so encouraged with baptisms this morning because that is a sign of what is happening today. It's a sign of, of saying, yes, I don't have a perfect faith. Yes, I don't have it all together, but I'm trusting in the one who does. 
and I'm trusting in the one who is more than sufficient to forgive me of sin, to help me day by day, and I'm going to live my life to follow him. I'm getting baptized now, not to be saved, not to say I'm awesome, not because I'm going to suddenly transform every area of my life. It's more the, an expression to say, I'm going to be baptized because I am putting myself under the authority of the one who will powerfully work it in me, work within me, and carry me and see me through to the end, and I'm putting my life in his hand. Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to redirect my faith away from myself and onto you. A third encouragement Jesus gives us, the third way he builds faith is, is in the Father, how he deals with the Father. And we just see that this Father has, a, has an encouragement from Jesus that restores his trust. And I think these points are building on each other. But just to enter into the story again from the Father's perspective now. Father approaches Jesus. It says that the disciples couldn't heal his boy. And Jesus asks him, how long has this been happening? He says, from childhood. From childhood. We don't know how old the boy is now, but it could be a decade or, or about there. Who knows? This was clearly a great length of time already. And he reports that there was a, an enormous um, destructive power in this boy's life where he would um, be frequently seized and also thrown into fire and water. This demon was trying to kill him, <clears throat> as is the norm. And the father uh, says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And I love Jesus' response. He just says, if I can. Bro, do you know who you're talking to? I can do all things. And so the father responds in such a helpful way. He says, I, just so honest, I love his authenticity in the moment. He says, I do believe, but please help my unbelief. And I, I don't know what, exactly where he'd be at, but I'm just trying to enter into the father's shoes a bit. Just the pain of seeing his boy suffer like this for years. It must be enormous carrying that emotional baggage with him. No doubt he, he must just be feeling crushed in spirit. He's probably been to numerous doctors of the time trying to heal his son, or, or maybe even now he's realizing it's a spiritual issue. He, he's gone to all the temples and rabbis he could find. He's, this is a father at his end. He's just desperate, and I think he, his faith and his hope has just been crushed to a point where he just doesn't know if he has any belief left in him. And yet, how does Jesus respond? Just so kindly and graciously to build his faith once again. I can do all things. I can do all things. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe that resonates with you somewhat. Maybe you've just feel, felt so worn out by something over a long period of time. You feel like your faith is hanging by a thread. Or maybe just suffering has entered in and knocked you. I don't know what's going on, but... Jesus' words to us would be similar to the Father. Jesus doesn't scold the Father. Just in his kindness, he's so gentle and encouraging with him. And he, he takes time to build him up again, to build his faith. He says, I can do all things. He's telling the Father, you've limited me in your heart. And what you've gone through is not an excuse for your lack of faith, but it explains it. But I'm going to meet you where you're at. And I want to encourage you today, I am both willing and able. I am both willing and able. And I'm going to 
meet you in your need. I think this explains us so, so much, doesn't it? I believe, how my unbelief. Like, I don't think that that's a lie. It's not a, they're not mutually exclusive. We, we live in this place. We trust Jesus, yet we doubt that he'll come through for us. We know that we're forgiven sinners if you're Christian, and yet wonder some days how much he loves us. We live in this both end, and Jesus is again calling us to trust in who he is to us. When we doubt, that we would build up our faith once again in who he is. And just a phrase that came to my mind here as I was thinking about this is this phrase of, of wrestling and resting. That while we're wrestling with doubt, wrestling with the struggles of life, wrestling with the questions we have, wrestling even with where our faith is at, that we would simultaneously be invited into resting in the grace of God in our lives. And that that over time, when we do it enough, it'll slow down our wrestling because God's heart is good and he's kind and he's gracious and he meets us. There's nothing more clear of the heart of God than the person of Jesus who is his son. And he shows us what he's like and that faith in him is our only hope, but it's our greatest privilege too. And he has come to give us faith. Maybe that's for you this morning. The fourth thing is in how Jesus lovingly intercedes in the life of this boy. In in that he works his rescuing power in the life of of the son. And it would be an understatement to say that the boy, that what the boy has gone through is devastating. Clearly, this is awful. And uh, there's probably a thousand questions rising up in your mind about it. And uh, I would just say that this is not a, a lecture on demonology, um, although I will try to talk about some of it, and we would be happy to engage you on the questions you have. But I do want to just focus on the grace of Jesus in expressing and showing his rescuing power in the Son, because I think that's the emphasis of what's going on here. And just as we, we look at the situation at play, I, I want to say two things. Firstly, if we're a believer in Jesus... Um, and if you're considering Christ, there is a reality of spiritual warfare going on that we may not even be aware of. Uh, this Bible says our, our, our battle is not with flesh and blood, it's not with humans, it's against the invisible principalities and powers that are going on. And so Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief, that Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's his mission. But Jesus' mission, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. And so Jesus is working that out, but we should not be naive of the spiritual battle at play here, whether we realize it or not. And uh, the one thing I will say is that um, we believe if you're Christian, uh, possession is not for you, but oppression will be, right? If you're Christian, the Holy Spirit uh, has come to dwell in you and has sealed you and has set you apart, and God will keep you to the end, but oppression if you're Christian, will be something we experience in this life and it will take on different forms and will often be even unaware of its spiritual nature because, uh, as C.S. Lewis, Lewis puts it, the greatest trick the devil ever put into, into this world is to convince us he doesn't exist. So it will be so subtle that we won't even often realize the spirituality of it and, and what's going on of it. And sometimes, 
as is the case here, it may manifest in, in physical suffering sometimes. Often, most of the time, I'd argue, there's a hundred other things going on. But the first thing I just wanted to encourage us with here is the heart of Jesus for us. And if you look at uh, 1 Peter 5, verse <clears throat> 7 and 8, it says this, Cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowl, uh, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. And so you've got this be alert. There is a spiritual war going on. But at the same time, you've got cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Isn't that a beautiful both and? You don't have to feel, this is the secondly, second thing I want to say, you don't have to feel frightened and scared the whole time. I don't know if you've watched any of those episodes of paranormal activity or whatever it is. And they, they do all this weird stuff. Uh, and they're like overly interested in the demonic. And I think that can be incredibly unhealthy too. Because here's the thing as Christians, we need to be aware and we need to guard ourselves. We need to stand firm. We shouldn't be naive. But at the same time, we know the victory of Jesus and what he's done to overthrow evil and overcome darkness. And so we don't need to be unhealthy and, and, and scared and, and spiritually anxious. We know where we stand. We know where we stand if you're a Christian. And so just to look at the life of this boy again, I just want to encourage us with two things, and just that show the heart of Jesus. As, as, we, as we come to an end here, just the, the heart of Jesus in the life of this boy is uh, when Jesus heals him and how he heals him. When he heals him, it says there, verse 25, that when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, that's when he, he rebuked the, the spirit and cast it out, right? So Jesus isn't waiting for a crowd to come so that he can use this boy as a showpiece of his power. He's protecting the boy. He's protecting his dignity from, from the crowd. He wants to get this done before the crowd gathers because he cares so much about protecting and guarding his vulnerability. That is the heart of Jesus. He's not out to get you. He's not out to make your life a, a showpiece of his power, you know. He will use it for sure. But his heart is tender and he cares about you. And I hope that encourages us in some way. The second is how he heals them. Again, in, in the movies, if you've watched any movie with an exorcism scene, you'll notice they get their, all their potions and lotions and devices and a mirror and all these weird things. Jesus needs nothing of that. He says, I command you, come out, and it comes out. He needs one thing, the power of his name. He doesn't need any fancy tricks or gimmicks. He needs his name, his power in Jesus. And again, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I would just love to encourage us. You may not be um, experiencing the same kind of um, oppression or possession here. Maybe it is just oppression. But the same rescuing power of Jesus is for us today as well. And the guys getting baptized again are, are celebrating that. We get to celebrate with them today. My life is in the rescuing power of Jesus, my Redeemer, who's died to make me alive. And his death is my death, and his resurrection is my resurrection. 
I've been redeemed and rescued. Isn't that great news? We get to celebrate that within today. And if you are considering Jesus or, or just starting your journey, I just would love to bring you back to what that Father says. If you can do anything, please just have compassion on us. And Jesus says, if I can, of course I can. I'm willing and able. I'll meet you in your need. That is the heart of Jesus for us this morning, friends. And so, just as we end, what makes all the difference to the disciples? What makes all the difference to the father? What makes all the difference to the boy in the story? It's, it's when the presence and power of Jesus comes into the picture. And when he is trusted fully. That's when we get uh, Jesus. And I just want to encourage you that Jesus, of course, is not just the doorway into, uh, into the Christian life. He's the pathway of the Christian life. It's just not, how, not just how we enter in. It's the road we walk daily. On daily dependence on Jesus. Daily seeking his face. Daily asking for help. Daily trusting in his willingness. Daily trusting in his rescue. There's some, no one more willing to meet us than Christ. And uh, we're going to respond in prayer now, and then singing, and then we get to celebrate with our friends getting baptized today. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll lead us in that moment just now and explain how it's going to uh, work. But right now, let's pray together, uh, and then we'll respond by singing. Let's pray. Oh, Christ, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that um, nothing can uh, undo your plan to heal and undo all of the brokenness experienced in the world and in our lives. We know that we live in a fallen world with more than enough evil and sin, and we just want to say thank you that you are working to renew all things and that um, in you there is salvation, and we want to put our hope and trust in you again this morning, God. We pray just for those considering Jesus that this um, morning you would give us all, grace, to take one more step towards you. That um, as we lean into you, we know that you are the one ultimately who has taken hold of us and is taking hold of us, and we rest in you. We pray that you would redirect our hearts again towards yourself. We pray, God, that you would renew our trust in you, and we pray, God, that this morning we would trust again in the rescuing power of Jesus, our Savior, who is ultimate authority over everything. We love you and we look to you and we're just so thankful that you have broken into our darkness and opened our eyes to see you and that we know you. We worship you, King Jesus.